Taylor Vick, and this is the Real Estate Fund Insider, pulling back the curtain on how to grow wealth and passive income through real estate investment funds. We decided to start new funds after doing research in the market and seeing what's going on. Seeing an opportunity where we can make an investment that will outperform. We're always looking at trends in the market, uh, trends in interest rate and real estate and the overall economy to decide, hey, what, what's a good place for us to invest? Once we've formulated that strategy, we'll typically purchase a few real estate assets along those lines. And then we will use those kind of as a test to make sure that our idea is going to work. And at that point, we'll open the fund to new investors so that we can invest in that strategy along with our investors. So once we've got an idea laid out, we'll typically purchase a few assets and we'll see how that goes. So if everything pencils out the way that we expect or better, that's when we're going to start formulating uh, putting together an entire investment fund and opening it up to our investors. Sometimes things may go a little bit differently, not necessarily bad, but if the overall idea still seems to be panning out, we're going to open it to investors. So, so typically what we're going to do is buy a few of these assets and after a couple of months, just track performance and say, look, guys, we've, we've thought about this plan. We actually put our money into it. We've implemented it. Here is the beginning of it. Here's the seed assets for this fund. And now we're opening it up to everyone because we see what we thought would pan out is. And now it's something that we are confident that we can bring other investors in on that we can all be successful with. So when looking at the physical locations of the real estate, obviously with real estate, physical location is a huge part of the investment from being in an economic area that's growing to being on a street that's growing. So we're always looking very, very specifically at where the assets are. Depending on what the overall strategy is will help determine where those assets are located. And within a fund, assets can be located really across the US. Generally, what we're doing with commercial, especially retail type assets, where you've got national players as tenants, we're looking throughout the Southeast. So we're looking at various markets that we think are growing, that are going to be uh, growing in the future and are gonna be more desirable to other investors in the future and buying there. When we're looking at assets uh, that are hyper-localized, meaning instead of having a national tenant in there, you may have a local tenant or you may have uh, um, residential residents in there, we're going to be a lot more focused on specific geographies. So for instance, our residential fund is all upstate South Carolina. It's an area we're very familiar with that a lot of people are interested in and that's growing very rapidly. So we've really kind of pinpointed, targeted that geography. Same thing with office. Office, you know, a lot of times is more local tenants or driven more by the local economy. So we're focusing a lot on local economies when we're looking at office assets. When we're looking to purchase assets, first off, we're gonna have specific type of assets we're looking for that follow the business plan of the fund. So for instance, if we're looking for credit rated retailers, we've got a list of those who fall in a category that we wanna invest in. And we know which ones are going to be the types of tenants we want that are gonna provide the types of returns we want. So we have basically a list of types of tenants that we're pursuing. So we'll scour the market and find assets with those tenants. Now, once we've found those, 
The next important thing is the geography. So once we've got our tenant um, and we found a place where they're located, we're going to deep dive on that geography to make sure it is located in an economic area that's growing. And then within that economic area that is in part of the trade area that's really growing as well. So we want to make sure we've got the opportunity for this asset to outperform others because of its location um, being in a growth market. One asset we've recently purchased is Gilbert Towns, which is a 32-unit apartment complex. They're actually duplexes, so everyone has their own yard and everything. That's here in Greenville. Is it an area that you may call uh, transitional, meaning it hasn't been fixed up, so to speak, around it? But what we've seen with the growth of Greenville, people relocating here and its proximity to downtown and other places, that it is an area from a strictly commute standpoint from a closeness to other things in Greenville, that it's in a good location. We knew since we were gonna be able to control the entire street, the entire neighborhood, that we could make the entire thing nice, and therefore people would be ready to move there and excited about it. And that's exactly what we saw. We had a waiting list to fill these assets as soon as we opened up the first renovated ones and were able to lease up everything very quickly in fact, we even increase rents because of the demand. So that's a great example of, hey, we have the asset type we wanted, which was duplexes. You know, it's a residential unit that gives people their own yard, but still has some economies of scale, having more than one unit in a building. And it's also in a geography that we like, Greenville, a growing area. And then that specific geography, we knew it was in an area that was somewhat underappreciated. So the price was better, but having control of the entire neighborhood, we were able to fix it up make that neighborhood desirable. And now with its location to other things in Greenville, it's a place that people desire to live. So typically after we've got some of those first assets, which we call seed assets, um, we then go through the process of talking to some of our, our, our investors and engaging interest. At that point, we have to go through the legal documents and get the fund set up from a legal standpoint, and then we'll open it up to other investors. So typically within you know, two to three months after purchasing the first asset, maybe four, three to four months after formulating the plan, we're going to have the fund open to investors. Typically, it's going to be open for a 12 to 18 month period. It really just depends. If there's super high demand and we get commitments on day one, you know, it will no longer be open to investors. However, typically what we do is continue to identify assets throughout the period so that we're continually bringing in new capital for a 12 to 18 month period until we've got it to the to the proper size that we want. So when trying to determine the size of the fund, the either the amount of assets or the dollar value of the fund, we look at a few things. So if we're trying to build a stabilized monthly income product, we want something that is going to have enough economy of scale that a vacancy is not going to affect us or a few vacancies is not going to affect us, that we're spread out in different markets so that if there is some major economic event in one market, that's not going to seriously derail the whole process large enough that we can you know, have some economies of scale when it comes to banking relationships or contractor relationships as well, uh, as, as well as, you know, perfunctory things like the cost of a tax return, you know, doesn't significantly increase with the asset size. All those things we want to uh, kind of bake in to make sure we're achieving the, the appropriate economies of scale. Another consideration is 
at, if we're doing what's called a roll-up strategy, meaning we're buying a bunch of assets to roll up into one group and then generally sell to another group who's doing that on maybe a bigger scale, uh, also called aggregating, you know, we're going to say, okay, at what number of assets or what what dollar size is the that buyer going to be interested? So with residential, it also typically steps up as you hit kind of different economies of scale uh, numbers. So you know, you kind of got 100 units, 250, 500, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, et cetera. So we're going to target kind of one of those benchmarks where we know we're going to get a little bit of cap rate compression or pop in price. So how long is a fund open for, or rather, how long is the investment period that an investor needs to expect? So that is going to be outlined in the fund documents. Typically, what we're going to be looking at is a five-year commitment with the option to extend it uh, two times for an additional year. So five to seven years is a typical uh, long-end commitment. And then on the shorter end, you're looking usually 12 to 18 months. A lot of that is driven uh, by two things. One, if it's value add, you need time to purchase the assets, fix them up, then retenant or stabilize them. And also after 12 months, you typically get better uh, tax treatment. So on the, on the minimum side, you know, we're usually looking at at least 12 months. In the middle between those two, you know, between the 12 and the five to seven years, a lot of it has to do with the opportunity. So if we are at a point in the market and with the way our fund is structured between the financing and the assets themselves, where we have determined this is a great time to sell, that may be what we decide to do. Um, so a lot of it is going to be opportunistic. We're always out there tracking the prices of our assets, other assets, investor demand to make sure that we're going to be able to capitalize at the right period of time. So overall, we kind of have a window. The window is typically 18 months to you know five years, maybe extended to seven years. But within that, it's going to come down to when are the assets ready to be sold and what is the market doing at the time. And if those two things meet where we've got a strong market and the assets are in a good position, we're definitely going to take advantage of that to give the highest return to our investors. So what is the investor's role in, in, the, in, in the fund as far as decision making? So the investors do have uh, a say in what happens. One thing I like to emphasize is that the investors don't have to make decisions. Uh, in other words, we're not going to ask you a question or say, hey, what do you think we need to do? Or, hey, I'm going to do that. Is that OK? That's not exactly how it works. You know, we are the real estate professionals. We have a very, very robust team within Blue Ridge and a lot of advisors. So we're, we're out there. We have the knowledge and we know how to make the decisions. However, when it comes to major decisions, we're going to put those before the investors so that they're aware of what's going on and that they can improve those. It varies a little bit by fund and by structure, but the, the typical important things uh, for some of our funds are going to be asset purchases or financings. So if we're having a major asset purchase or we're taking on a, a major financing, we're going to uh, pass what's called a resolution, which is basically a a company uh, document that is a vote. So we're going to outline in that paper, hey, this is what we're looking to buy. This is the price. These are the expectations. If if you agree, please sign this document, you know, stating that you approve of this. Um, in transactions where that's necessary, if we don't achieve the proper amount of approval, we won't do it. This never happened, but it, that's part of the process and that's part of the investor involvement. 
There's also times where the investors can on their own, and really at any time investors on their own can come together and make decisions. Is generally uh, guided by management since we're leading. But if there's a major event, the investors are able to act on their own. For instance, if something happened to me uh, and I was incapacitated and uh, the investors weren't sure if they wanted to keep using Blue Ridge without me, they could come together and select a new manager for the investments. Um, the investors can come together and select officer positions. Um, generally, we recommend officer positions, but they can also be selected. They could form boards or committees, things of that nature as well. So at the end of the day, uh, a vote by the investors can unturn anything, just like a vote by the shareholders of a public company can do that as well. At the end of the day, the investors um, have all the power through their vote. However, the way that it's set up, the investors have given permission to management to run the day-to-day -day operations, just like a public company, your CEO um, and executive team does the day-to-day. -day. However, the, the board and, and the uh, investors can step in at any moment to change things. So I guess the, the overall point I'm trying to make here is that for an investor, there's nothing really that they need to do. It's all being handled by extremely competent professionals. However, for important decisions, they're being informed and, and can give sign off on. And if there's a major issue, the investor has the power to enact change. So when we're looking at closing out a fund, kind of what, what's that process? How does that work? So we are always looking at what's going on in the market. You know, we have um, a detailed list of all of our assets. We are constantly sharing that with potential buyers, with brokers, other people in the market and taking their temperature on things, getting other professionals opinions formulating our own opinions on the value and the saleability of our assets. So we've always got a pulse on what a disposition or a fund closeout might look like. Um, very important part of, of the investment analysis that we do. When we see a really good opportunity, when we see a time in the market where we think is uh, extremely appropriate or exceptionally appropriate to sell, where we think we're going to be able to capture a better return now than maybe in the next five years or the next few years, that's when we're going to want to capitalize on either a single asset sale or a total fund closeout. So the process is, you know, us, the internal Blue Ridge team, constantly looking at valuations and looking for the right opportunities. Um, and then depending on the fund structure, we will have a resolution out to investors saying, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing, this is why, this is what the return is, more or less, is this good by you? We want to make sure we have that investor approval. Um, in some funds, it's kind of already set up, hey, this is what we're planning on doing, and we, we carry on that path. If there's not a major change to it, then we won't put it before an investor vote because it's already been approved in the fund formation. However, we do, of course, keep investors involved in anything, and if there's any major issues, we, of course, address those or change course if needed. Um, so we will, yes, be looking at those assets all the time. And if we think it's a good time to sell, we will advise the investors uh, to that point. What we do at that after that is we try to get the, the assets, the potential uh, assets we're selling in front of as many people as possible. So one thing that I do is I, if I've got a bunch of uh, you know, missed call messages on my desk saying, this person was calling, they want to buy this. This person was calling, they want to buy this. This person was calling, they want to buy this. 
you know, typically, uh, you know, we'll, we'll call those people back and, and kind of see what their interest is. But what that means to me is that that asset or that asset class is in super high demand, so much so that people are going out of their way. They're finding that asset. They're combing through legal documents and they're somehow getting my phone number and calling saying, hey, I want to buy that. That means to me that there's a lot of people out there who want to buy that asset. And the person calling me is probably not the person who's going to pay the most. Maybe, but it's never happened that way. That's the person who says, I'm going to put in the extra work and try to get it off market. So that's kind of just one of the many leading indicators we use to say, hey, do we need to look at selling this? And again, what we want to do is get it in front of as many people as possible, use the best marketing possible to try to achieve the highest price. So yeah, we want to get it in front of as many people uh, to try to get the best price as possible and use, use the best marketing. I mean, there are some very, very simple sayings in real estate that, you know, probably started in some small town with someone selling houses that are just as appropriate to the things that we do as they were to, to that person's situation. You know, one thing I always say is that the pictures sell the real estate. There's a lot of financial analysis that goes into the real estate, but if the marketing goes out and there's not a really great picture, a lot of people just are not going to even notice it or look at it. People are inundated with, you know, emails and all of that. So to me, the marketing, the photography, the videography is hugely important. Getting it in front of as many people as possible is also hugely important. Um, not taking the first offer, you know, keeping it on market to see what else comes out. These are all extremely important things to make sure that we're, we're getting the highest price. The person paying the highest price may not see it on the first day or have enough time to go through the deal on the first day to make an offer. You know, in the case of a highly competitive environment, we want to make sure we're as open as possible to receiving as many offers as we can. Um, so then, you know, at that point, if things pan out it, uh, and, and we get those returns, that's when we're looking at selling or closing out a fund. So we want to make sure that we provide our investors with, with a strong return that is um, commensurate to what they're getting on an annual basis. So in other words, if we're going to, to sell an asset, we don't want to capture two years of profit from holding in a one-time sale. It doesn't really make sense. We look at several different metrics, but kind of the main idea is, can we sell this asset and with the profits buy another asset that is going to earn more on an annual basis than this, than this asset did on the path, in the past? So that is kind of like a perpetual hold model where we're saying, hey, we want to be holders of real estate for the recurring income. If we sell this and buy something else, is our recurring income going to go up? The answer needs to be yes in that type of analysis because... The idea is you're trading up, you're increasing your monthly income by selling, redeploying, uh, redeploying that equity into other assets. There's a lot of different metrics we look at, but at the end of the day, we're going to want to make sure that we hit proper returns to the investors so that they're satisfied with, uh, with the overall investment. So kind of all together, the process where it comes to closing a fund or dispositioning an asset is us always looking at the market, knowing the value of assets, knowing what's going on in the market, us talking to our investors and making sure that, hey, this either follows the game plan or that we get the proper vote or approval from investors, then getting it out in front of as many people as possible in order to achieve, to achieve the highest price and making sure that whatever offers we end up getting fall in line with all those different metrics we want to make sure that we hit on disposition. When it comes to selling an asset or closing a fund, there's more to it than just what 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 the real estate assets are and what the price is. 
Blue Ridge has a, a reputation in the industry and we have extensive relationships that help us achieve uh, better sales prices than other people. Basically, some of the things that are important here is that we've got a reputation that we do what we say we're gonna do. That if we say, hey, this asset is this, that that's what it is. We're not uh, fluffing things. We're not trying to cover things up. People understand that they're buying high quality assets and that we're very forthright with all the knowledge we have on these things. So they know before they even go under contract that what they're looking at is what they're gonna get, kind of no surprises. So we've got a reputation for kind of, you know, doing what we say we're gonna do. Uh, we have a reputation for being someone who closes deals for someone who's active in the market. So we're not a one-off individual or a company who's saying, well, it would be nice if I sold this, but I don't really have to, and I'm not super motivated. You know, no one wants to deal with that seller. When we have decided to sell something, it's a very decisive process with a lot of quantitative and qualitative analytics involved. And hey, we're committed to selling this thing. You know, it's going to be a smooth transaction. We're going to do what it takes to get it done. We're going to be responsive to the buyer, et cetera. So they know they're going to have a good sales process. Through that, we also have a lot of uh, relationships with buyers and brokers. So when it comes down to it, having the relationships with brokers is extremely important because those brokers can vouch for us to other brokers as well. For instance, if someone's looking to buy our asset, the one broker may say, hey, you know, my investor, he's at a position where maybe he's doing a 1031 exchange. Things really need to go smoothly. What is your seller like? Um, what can we count on here? And our broker is going to put their reputation out there. If the buyer hasn't heard of Blue Ridge and say, look, I've seen these guys perform. I know how they act. I know what they do. This is going to be good for your guy. He's going to be able to accomplish his goals. And then that's one more broker and one more buyer that says, hey, next time we've got a deal that needs, you know, has to go very smoothly. We know these guys can do it. Um, also, just the quality of our assets. We keep things up. You're not going to have repairs. There's not going to be much to worry about. You know, you're buying quality real estate from us as well. Um, so that's kind of the broker piece. And then the buyer piece is similar. But a lot of times the way that comes into play is being able to do off-market transactions, um, which we do very rarely because, again, we want to get things in front of as many people as possible. But sometimes, depending on timing and other qualitative factors, uh, having a known buyer or a non-marketed uh, sale can be advantageous as far as being able to get things done quickly, a quicker closing, a smoother process, and sometimes even uh, even best price. So, you know, when you're selling any asset, especially something like real estate, which is illiquid and takes amount of time, you're looking at not just the price, but also the the execution or the transaction piece. Is it someone who closes in three weeks or someone who closes in 90 days? Those are some of the qualitative aspects we want to make sure we're taking in uh, as well. And then, you know, another thing with other buyers is that we know what they're looking for and we can kind of construct our portfolios to appeal to them. So, for instance, in our residential, we're using, you know, a certain brand of smart locks. Not only does it save us a lot of money on management and make our tenants' lives better, also, there are other buyers or owners of real estate who use that same software and that same hardware. So they look at us and say, boom, we can integrate this into our system on day one. We don't have to go and change 100 locks. We don't have to try to use someone else's software. Day one, we can open, close any door. Uh, our tenants have the same app that they use. The transition for them is easier. They're using the same payment portal. 
all those things that are, again, kind of more qualitative that we can kind of craft to our buyers in order to get just that slightly better price or that slightly quicker transaction. So, you know, when, when do investors get their uh, payout on assets? So typically when we talk about a fund closeout, generally we're not selling every single asset on one day. It's generally something that happens over a period of time. It just kind of varies. It's rare if you have a multi-asset portfolio to sell every single asset at once. What we do is whenever an asset is sold, we've got an amount of equity that went into that asset and then we've got the profit. And what we'll do usually within about two weeks is two weeks after the close, all those calculations are done beforehand, but we'll finalize those and we will send a check out to investors about two weeks after an asset is sold. Uh, with that check, there's two things. There's the return of equity or the return of the investment you made, plus the profit that you get uh, from that sale. So if we're going to close out a fund, as soon as an asset sells, we're typically going to be making a distribution of both capital and investment in two to three, uh, two to three weeks. To sum up kind of the fund structure or how funds work is that you know, we as professional investors are always in the market looking at what makes sense, what can be a good investment. We're going to test that out and we're going to bring investors on. We're going to tell them generally it's going to be between 18 months and five years before we sell an asset. However, we are constantly looking at the market, trying to determine the best time to sell. Us as the real estate professionals will run everything, take care of everything, use our expertise. We'll keep you informed of major decisions. And you as the investors always have the opportunity to pass a vote or to raise your hand and say, hey, let's do something different. At the end of the day, the investors have control through the vote. However, they've delegated to management uh, to run the day to day. Once things are sold, we're um, going to distribute profits to investors plus the return of capital within a two to three week period. And we're only selling things when we know that it's the right time to sell. So while we try to lay out a general game plan, which we usually follow, there's gonna be a little bit of wiggle room in the actual disposition time as we're looking to the market to see when the best sell time is.